We really appreciate having you with us this morning, Seth. Just give the children a second to filter through the stairs there, the bottleneck. Make sure I'm actually on. We're good. Well, we are in the midst of our December series, which we have called Name Changer. Now, this series is not very Christmassy, but we're going to add a little bit of Christmas into it. And it's all about the different times in the Bible where God has changed someone's name and thus changed the entire direction of their life. And you know, names are very important in the Bible. And sometimes we can read through some of these genealogies that they have listed and be like, why is that in there? But every word has meaning, and even your name has meaning. Maybe you don't know what it means, but most names have a meaning that is tied to a, usually an older language if we follow the etymology back. My name is Jordan, which means the descender, and it has to do with the Jordan River, how it descended down out of the mountains and through the nation of Israel. When we were trying to come up with a name for our, our first child, we ended up calling him Harrison, which is son of the army commander, and we thought that was a good good strong one and you know sometimes he has to be the army commander when he's marching his four brothers or three brothers in and then Bennett is our little blessed one and sometimes I think did we name you the wrong thing because you don't seem like the little blessed one you seem like the little hellraiser sometimes come on follow your name but all names are very important, and in our first week we went through the, the lineage of Jesus for all the way from Adam to Joseph, and we showed that when you take the meanings of their names and put it in, that it actually paints a prophetic picture of the job of Jesus. And then two weeks ago we went through the lineage of Cain, and it shows how in the meanings of his lineage, it talks about how he rebels against God, becomes a fugitive, and goes on the run. And so it tells his story in the lineage of the children that came after him. And so names are very important. So this morning, let's take a little bit of a Christmas spin on this. In Luke chapter 1, verse 30, it said, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So when the angel came to Mary, she was specific about, This is what I want you to call him. And you know, the same thing happened with Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist. The angel came to his mother and to his father and sa said, you're going to have a kid and I want you to call him John. And it was really specific of why they wanted to call him John. Do you know what John means? John means Jehovah is a gracious giver. And that was John's whole purpose in life, was to be the forerunner before Jesus, to say, hey, God is sending his gracious gift, which was Jesus. And so jumping back to Jesus' name, what his name means is Yahweh is salvation. Or if we follow the Latinized version, it would be Jehovah saves. And so when they said, call him Jesus, the reason why they, God wanted him called Jesus is because that was his mission. God was coming to save the world. You know, it wasn't just a random name that God was up there thinking, you know what, I think if I'm going to send my son to this earth, I want him to call Jesus. That's a pretty cool name. And now if it was in modern day, he'd be called Jesus. So the names in the Bible are there for a, per, for a reason. Now, when we're talking about names this morning, we're not necessarily talking about whether you're called Jack or Diane or if you grew up in the American heartland. We're talking about the things that you have allowed yourself 
to be defined by. And whether you realize it or not, you have things that have been involved in your life from the very beginning that have defined who you are. Maybe it was you come up out of a poor family and everybody's in your family has been poor. You know what? I want to tell you this morning, it does not have to continue generation after generation. You can break it. Maybe you came up out of a family where everybody was sick all the time. You don't have to be that way because Jesus came to be the name changer. He came to change your destiny. He came, you do not have to be bound by what has always been in your life. So words and names are very important. What we speak over our children is very important. You know, I was at a, at a Christmas function a few weeks ago, and I couldn't believe what one of our relatives was saying over one of my nephews. I was like, I was flabbergasted. I'm like, do you really want your grandson, my nephew, to grow up thinking he's a moron? Maybe you should stop saying that to him. Well, that didn't go over well. But what we speak over people are help shaping their future and their destiny. You know, a famous saying from Shakespeare written a long, long time ago in Romeo and Juliet is, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Is that really the case though? I really like Lucy Maud Montgomery's counter to that in Anne of Green Gable. She said, I read in a book once that a rose by any other name would smell as sweet, but I've never been able to believe it. I don't believe a rose would be as nice if it was called a thistle or a skunk cabbage. And isn't that true? Could you imagine giving your significant other, hey, I got a dozen skunk cabbages for you. <laughs> What we call things is very important. You know, I read a study a while ago about this, that uh, they, what, they took a group of people and they blindfolded them, and they had three categories of smells. They had ones that smelled good, ones that were okay, and ones that were kind of like not very good at all. And they gave them just ordinary names, and they had the people rank them. And then they had them retested again and gave them much more flowery names and, and beautiful sounding names. And they found that the mediocre ones and the not so good ones started to score better when they were called nice things versus just something ordinary. So when we give power over things in our lives, the way that we speak over them, and it's important how we speak about ourselves. You're not just, oh, I'm just so dumb. I can't believe I did that again. You know, or man, this is my back is just killing me you know you don't need to be speaking those things over your life you know I like what Dr. Ira Rosofsky said he's a psychologist and he said names have power they are not like shirts you can change without changing you but I have to tell you some good news this morning you can change and you're in the place where we serve a God who changes lives so in week number one, we followed the story of Jacob and Esau, and they didn't have a great start with their names. Literally, the first one came out, and it was Esau, and he was hairy, and so his mother called him Esau, which means hair. <laughs> Wouldn't you love that if your mother looked at you and was like, ugh, I'm calling this kid hair. <laughs> And then Jacob comes out and he was holding on to Esau's heel. And so she called him heel, or the secondary meaning of the word is deceiver. Wouldn't you? Well, come on, think. Come on, Rebecca. That was their mother. You named your kid hair and deceiver. That is such a wonderful start for these kids. And so we see that their lives began to follow the path after which they'd been named. Esau went out and became a hunter, and he spent all his time in the woods with the hairy beasts. 
And then he ended up selling his birthright to his brother for a bowl of red stew, and his name was changed to Edom, which literally means red. Crazy. And then Jacob, name being deceiver, throughout his life we see he's the one he cheats his brother out of his birthright. And then he cheats his brother out of his blessing. And he's just lying and deceiving his whole life up until the point he has an encounter with God. He falls asleep on the rock and his eyes are opened and he sees the angels of heaven ascending and descending. And he wakes up and he says, oh my goodness, God was in this place and I didn't even know it. And I love that statement from him because how many times has God been present in your situation and you didn't even know it? You didn't even get to draw on his goodness and his mercy and his grace because you didn't recognize that he's right here with you. And from that moment on, Jacob's life changes. And the blessing follows him wherever he goes. Everything he be touches begins to be blessed. People try to cheat him like he'd cheat of his brothers, but God always brought him around and brought him into success. Until in the end, God said, you know what? You're no longer a heel. You're no longer a deceiver. And he changed his name to God Prevails. You know, that's a name I'd like to see in my life all the time. God Prevails in my life. Then we follow the story of Naomi and Ruth. And Naomi and her husband Elimelech decided, you know what, it's a little bit rough here in the land of Israel, so they took off and moved to the land of Moab, which was not the land of promise. It was not the land God had told them to live in. It was the enemy's land. But they thought, there's a famine in this land, surely God can't provide for me here. And so they took off to the land of Moab. And in the course of time, Elimelech dies, and then their two kids, Mahalon and Kilion, both die. And Naomi is just distraught by this, and she decides, you know what, let's go back to Israel. That's a good place. When everything is breaking down, go back to God. That's right. You know? And so they're on their way back. She's bringing her daughter-in-law, Ruth, with her. And as she's coming back to their town of Bethlehem, the people recognize her and they say, is that Naomi? And she says, don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made my life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? And all I have to say is all of those statements are a bunch of garbage. Because God didn't ask them to go to Moab. God didn't tell them to leave the land of promise. They made that decision. And how many times have things gone wrong in our life and we blame God for it and then we have to realize, oh wait, God didn't tell me to be where I am and that's why things are falling apart. And so Naomi's heart begins to change and when she left, her name was Naomi, which means my delight or kindness, pleasantness, beauty, and favor. And when she returns, don't call me any of those nice things. She literally changed her name to bitterness. And so Naomi learned to let her heart be moved by external circumstances rather than her internal destiny. So the two things we've learned up until this point that you need to know before we move on is you can let God transform you and believe the words he has spoken over you or, there's always an or, you can close off your heart and let hardship shape your view of the world around you and your future. 
You always have a choice. You don't have to accept where you are and stay the way you are. You can change and move with God. In Jacob's case, he chose to let his life be transformed. In Naomi's case, she chose to go the opposite direction and harden her heart. You know, her life wasn't very good after that, but thank God, God ignored Naomi and still blessed Ruth. And Ruth began to prosper as she came into the land of Israel. She married Boaz, who was a very wealthy, influential man, and she ended up being in the line of Jesus. She is David's great-great-great-grandmother. So God can take crappy situations and he can turn them around for blessing right. if you're willing to keep your heart open and let him change you. Okay, let's jump into some new stuff this morning. This morning I want to follow a new story of life change, and that is the story of Abraham and Sarah. Oh, I can tell you're all so thrilled about that. Come on, wake up. Abraham and Sarah. So who's Abraham? He is one of the main patriarchs of the Jewish nation. He's the one that God chose out of the line that has come from Adam. He said, he picked Abraham and he said, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to make you great. And here's where he did that. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, we find Abram. He's living in the land of Ur of the Chaldees, which would be located in modern day southern Iraq. And this is what God says to him when he comes in contact with Abraham. So the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. So he's asking him to head out, not even knowing where he's going, only with the promise that I will show you where you need to go. And he says this to him, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you so that's a pretty hefty promise that God has just placed upon Abraham's shoulders and it says so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed so he got up and he left the land that he was in and Lot went with him and Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran and he took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot oh wait hold on a second didn't wasn't one of God's main instructions was leave your father's family but here he's got Lot, who is his nephew, which would be his uncle's son, coming with him. So he's not fully following the instructions that God has given them. And it says, so he took his nephew Lot and all his wealth and his livestock and all the people that had taken, he had taken into his household at Haran, and he headed for the land of Canaan. And you would think from that point on that his life was just, oh, sunshine, lollipops, and roses. No, it wasn't actually. We find Abram in a land of famine several times. We find him in a situation where he ends up lying about who is his wife is saying, she said, okay, honey, tell him you're my sister because I'm afraid you look so good that they're just going to kill me and take you. And so he said, tell them you're my sister. Come on. If I said that to my wife, I wouldn't have to worry about somebody else killing me. She would do the job for them. He ends up that both him and Lot begin to prosper so much that the land can't sustain all of their flocks and there begins to be fighting. So he has to split off from Lot, his loved nephew. And then Lot gets captured and his stuff taken away. So he has to fight a war to save Lot. And then he ends up having a kid with his wife's servant. Again, my wife would kill me right there. Done. <laughs> 
And so he has this child of disobedience. And at the point we're now about to see Abram, he hasn't heard from God in 13 years since the child of disobedience. So it has not been this whole rosy picture. And sometimes God gives you a promise and you're looking at everything else that's going on around and you're like, are you serious, God? I'm Surely I must have misheard you. My, my wisdom for you would be hold on and let the process work itself out. And so he's gone through all of these things. And in chapter 17, verse 1, we find it says, When Abram was 99 years old. Let me do the math for you. It's been 24 years since the promise. This is not some short time frame we're talking about. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. And he says, I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. He's repeating the initial blessing, but now he's saying, I'm going to make a covenant. Now, covenant doesn't really mean much for us, but in the time frame of which Abraham lived, covenants was a big thing. If you made a covenant with person, you were saying, all my stuff is yours and all your stuff is mine. We're coming together. We're joining our houses. If you go to war, I go to war. If someone kills you, I will come and avenge you. So he's, if you're getting into a covenant with someone, God's the one you want to get in covenant with because he doesn't need any of your stuff, but you definitely need his. Yes. And so he's making a firm covenant that can't be broken. If you break a covenant in the time that Abram's living, it means death. So he's making this firm promise with Abram. In verse 3 it says, At this Abram fell on his face down to the ground, and then God said to him, What's more? I love that. I love that. That just reminds me of, of, uh, of um, watching The Price is Right and where they open up the one and they're like, oh, it's a new jet ski. But wait, there's more. It's a new car. That's what I kind of get when they say, what's more? He says, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be a father of many nations. He says, and I will make you extremely fruitful. Wouldn't you just like to be fruitful? I love when God adds extra adjectives in there. Extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. And I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. I love that he says that. I will always, meaning God's not going to change. Yeah. You know who changes every day? That would be us. Yeah. But right. each day he stays the same forevermore. That way you don't have to worry about what side of the bed God just woke up on this morning. He still woke up on the side of blessing. He still holds true to the covenant that he made with Abram, who through everyone will be blessed, is what it said. Then drop down to verse 15, it says, Then God said to Abraham, now using his new name, Regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her, and I will give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. You have to understand the improbability of these statements. Abraham is 100 and she is 90. People don't have kids at that age. I did a little digging around. The oldest that I could find in modern records is that there was a lady in India had one at 70 and her husband was 79. And my only question is, why? <laughs> 
I'm 33 going on 34 and I have a hard enough time running after my four kids. Why would you want to start that late? So, <laughs> so then Abraham bowed down to the ground and he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100? Legitimate question, but he serves the God of the impossible. And he said, how can Sarah have a baby when she's 99 years old? And so Abraham starts deciding, well, God, I'm not pretty, pretty sure that you can't do this, so let's try and let's do a workaround. And here's what Abraham said. So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael, the child of disobedience, live under your special blessing. Because surely, God, I ain't having no more kids. Take Ishmael and make it happen through him. But God said, no. Listen to his nose and go with the plan. It says, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you, and you will call his name Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. And guess what? They got their kid, and they named it Isaac. And do you know what Isaac names mean? Laughter. Because at 100 years old, you know you're laughing when you got a kid. <laughs> And that's exactly what Abraham did. When God told him, he was like, ha, ha, this ain't happening, use Ishmael. When a year later, when God shows up at their doorstep of their tent, he says it again, and Sarah's off in the listening in the room. She's like, yeah, that ain't happening, God. And God said to her, Sarah, why did you laugh? And she's like, I didn't laugh. And he's like, yes, you did laugh. But you know what? It came to pass, and they named the kid, he laughs. So, I want to take a look at the name change that has taken place between Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. If we look at Abram first, Abram means my father is exalted. Now you have to understand that when Abram was given this name, he was living in the land of Ur of the Chaldees, he was not talking about God being exalted. They didn't even know God existed in that time in their life. This is a name that has been passed down from his father. It's the only thing that is carrying over from his former life. And what did God say about his father? He said, get out from your father and get out from his house. And so up until this point of 99 years, Abram has been living. Whenever they say his name, he's saying, my father is the exalted one. And God changes his name around to Abraham, which means father of many nations. So now, instead of his father, natural father, getting the blessing and getting the recognition, he's now been pointed at Abraham, and whenever he introduces himself, he's like, hey, my name's Abraham. And they're kind of like, father of many nations? I'm pretty sure that you only got one half kid doesn't even have a legitimate heir. So now every time he introduces himself, he is speaking the promise that God has made to him. And you know what happens is every time he introduces himself as Abraham or Sarah calls him from the room, Abraham, come here. You know what he's being reminded of? God has made me a promise. And the words that are being spoken over Abraham after 99 years are changing. Rather than his natural father being the focus, the promise of God is now the focus. You know what? There's times in your life where you need to remind yourself almost daily, almost every minute, almost every second, the promise and the blessing that God has spoken over you. If you don't know what it is, get in the Word and find out what He has said about you because He does not look at you as some little worm. He looks at you as His beloved child in whom He is well pleased, the one who He loved, the one who He wants to bless on a daily basis. When you remember those blessings, 
blessings, go ahead and start speaking them over your life just like Abraham did on a daily basis. I'm the father of many nations. I'm the father of many nations. I'm the father of many nations. And you know what came to pass? He became the father of many nations. Now, if we look at his wife, she went from Sarai to Sarah. Now, in the, if you look back at the Hebrew, the word for Sarai is my princess, but it's a weak word. It's something that's to be protected. It's something that, okay, it's just something soft. But when it's changed to Sarah, noble woman, in the Hebrew, that is a strong word. You're not just thinking, oh, she's not the princess that needs to be protected. She's the noble woman who runs her house. And so God changes her perspective from a place of weakness to a place of strength. Yeah, that's right. I am the noble woman, and this is my house, and I am having kids. And she becomes the mother of many nations. Now, if we took it just at the face value of the meaning of their words, that's a great story right there. And we, as we say, that'll preach. But you know, there's so much more that is actually going on here than just changing the meaning of their names. But in order for us to look a little bit deeper, I want to give you a little bit of a lesson this morning on Hebrew. Trust me, there won't be a test, so you don't have to remember the details. But in the 22 letters of the Hebrew language, each one is represented with a pictograph or a picture and also with a number. So we see the first one would be a left, and it's re represented by the ox, and it means strength. It's the first le letter in their language. The second one would be bet, and it's represented by a pictogram. And the reason why they call it the house is because it's the diagram of the Jewish tent. The way they would do it is you'd have the entrance, and you'd have the male side, and then there'd be a divider, and there'd be the female side side and so it's a representative of the house so each letter has a picture meaning and also a number meaning so just a few examples of how that plays into words so if we want to take the name for God it's let it's done by Lamed the staff and ox and its first meaning is strong leader but there's more that goes on here if you take the word the, the word staff it actually means to move towards and the ox is strength so when you say the word god the what the literal meaning is move towards strength that's why god says come unto me all you who are weary and need rest take my yoke upon you he's saying come to me move towards my strength give up your strength you can't do it the bible says without him you can do nothing but when you come to Him, you receive strength. So when you call on God, the literal action is move yourself from where you are towards the strength of God. Another cool one is the word for father in the Hebrew. It's represented by house and strength. And the literal meaning is strength of the house. So when you say the word father, it is the father is the strength of the house. Which is really interesting. Here, let me, let me just quickly take a little side rabbit here. You ready for this? The if you even look at modern statistics about when a father is not present in the house, this is what you get. It says 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. That's according to the U.S. Department of Health. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fathers, fatherless homes. 85% of children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. That's according to the CDC. This is a crazy one. 80% of rapists with anger problems come 
from fatherless homes. So you remove the father out of the house and you begin to have all these problems that we see in society today. That's just a little side note. So the point is, each letter of the Hebrew language has a picture representation in it. So let's look at the name of God. In the, in the covenant name of God in the Old Testament is Yahweh. And they, they deemed this word so holy that when the Jewish rabbis would be writing it out, whenever they got to this word, they would go, stop, they would go wash themselves, they would come and they would write the word, and then they would stop and they would go wash themselves again because they deemed it as so holy. And they wouldn't even write out the whole name because they determined that the covenant name of God was just too holy to be spoken. So they represented it, they took the vowels out and only used the main letters. And so the letters you're left with when they would write it is Yud, He, Vav, He. Now if each letter has a, rep a picture representation, the first one for Yud is the outstretched hand. The second letter is the word He, which He is behold grace. I like that one. It's also the fifth letter in the Hebrew language. The, the third letter is the word Vav, which is a really interesting one. It is the word for nail. It's a picture of a nail. And then the last one again is grace. So the covenant name of God, the picture that it represents is literally the outstretched hands of grace nailed in grace. Thousands of years before Jesus even came to the earth, the very name of God was painting the picture of Jesus' purpose. He will come, he will stretch out his hands in grace, and he'll have them nailed all by grace. He wasn't nailed by the anger of the Jewish people. He wasn't nailed by the Romans. He was nailed in grace. And grace, the word hey, is behold, look at my grace. That's amazing. So what was the letter that he inserted into Abraham and Sarah's name? It is behold grace. The thing that changed Abraham and Sarah's life wasn't just that he changed the meaning of their name. He inserted grace into their lives. He became Abraham. Hey was inserted. She became Sarah. Hey was inserted. He inserted himself into their names, and what was unfruitful became fruitful. When you let God insert himself into your life, what was unfruitful becomes fruitful. Amen. Now, grace can be defined as his unmerited or his undeserved favor or his empowerment in your life. And the whole idea behind grace is it's not based upon what you have done. And thank God, he doesn't look down and say, you just haven't been good enough. He looks down and says, you look like you need a little bit of grace. And when he looked down at Abraham, he didn't bless him because he was this great man. He was a very flawed man. We already went through all the problems that he had. But look what happens when you get a hold of a little grace. And grace is exactly what is available to you. You know, they say that the first five letters of the Hebrew language are all represented by the numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. The first one, number one, is a representation of God. Number two is a representation of the Son, which would be Jesus. Three is a representation of the Holy Spirit. Four is a representation of man's problems. This is what, how the Jewish nation looks at it. This is not me. And five is grace. You know what happens when you put God and man's problems together? You get five. You get grace. 
Want to take this a little bit more? Genesis chapter 17, where he changes his name, is the fifth and final promise that God gives to Abraham, and it is the promise of grace. So if we go back to where the chapter started, it says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Do you know what El Shaddai means? I am the God that is more than enough. When grace comes into your life, it comes with more than enough. And when we look around, people are satisfied with their little, but God is not the God of just a little. He's the God of more than enough. And that's what happens when grace comes into your life. And so if we jump ahead to Christmas, in John chapter 1 verse 14, it says, the Word, who is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and full of truth. Well, I'm so glad that the Father is full of grace and full of truth, but that doesn't mean a hill of beans to me if he's got it and I don't. But the next verse says, John pointed him out and called, this is the one, the one I told you was coming after me, but in fact was ahead of me. He's always been ahead of me. He's always had the first word, and it says, and of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. What does it say? We have all received. What does that mean? That is a past tense, meaning it's already happened. God was full of grace and truth, and through Jesus, you, when you receive Him, you receive His grace and His truth. And not just grace, it says grace for grace. And it says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So when you receive Jesus as your Savior, He becomes the name changer and grace is inserted into your life. When grace is inserted into your life, guess what? El Shaddai is on the scene. God is not someone who is off in heaven, off by Himself. He is here present with you every day. There's never a moment where you wake up and God is not right where you are. And we all need to have a Jacob moment where we realize, oh my goodness, God's been in this place and I didn't even recognize it. When you wake up in the morning, He's there. When you lay down at night, He's there. When you're going through the worst moment of your life, guess what? He is there and you are there to receive His grace. You are there to receive His mercy and His love because there's never anywhere that you could be where it's not there present with you. So you've already had an encounter with the name changer if you've received Jesus. Now, maybe you're watching us this morning via the internet, wherever you are in the world, and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life. It's so simple. It's not asking you to join a church. It's not asking you to join a creed or a doctrine. All it says is, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. And so we're going to pray with you right now and say, Father, I thank you for Jesus. I receive him now in Jesus' name. And that's it. It's that simple. And if you prayed that prayer with us this morning, please get in contact with us. We would love to get some resources in your hand and get you hooked up with a good church in your area, wherever that may be in the world. You know, guys, we are living in the greatest days this world has ever seen. Some people look to the Bible and say, you know what, oh, those were some great stories. You know what? He saved the best for last. And as they received grace, and what was unfruitful became fruitful, guess what? How much more you, he saved the best for last. And so, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this season of Christmas where you gave the ultimate gift. 
we thank you for what that means for us. And Jesus, we say, do your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, guys, I just want to take a moment and say Merry Christmas. Thanks for being here this morning. I hope you guys have a fantastic holiday season. And Garnet, you seem to be waving at me there. I just want to... Appreciate that we have both, right? Yeah. yeah. So, anyways. Thank you very much. Thanks, Connie.